Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, this is The Bright Side with Technisha. A daily broadcast on real-life issues that will keep you motivated. And now, here's your host, Technisha. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is May the 16th. 2014. Oh, and I just thought about it. I have to call my brother because today is his birthday. I know he's going to be disappointed if I don't. But I'm thankful that you're tuning in to another episode of The Bright Side with Technisha. And I have a special guest on today. But before I get into that, if you do want to call in, please do so at 347-426-3751. If you want to sign up to Blog Talk Radio, you could do so. You could just sign up to listen in and favor one of your shows. Or you can even sign up and have your own show. But this is so exciting. I'm so glad to have this lady on because she's, she's strong. She's encouraging for all women, empowering for us. Um, anyone remember the American Reality television series that aired on that airs on Discovery Channel, The Naked and Afraid, right? And it premiered, I think it premiered around in 2013 with I Have One, The Survivors, on. Mayu Togu. Togo, and she has went through it all. You know, you got to go through surviving to stay in the wilderness uh, naked for at least 21 days. Now, I don't know if I can actually do that, but, um, you know, that's, that's just me. You got to find, you got to find water, food, your shelter, and clothing within the environment. So let's welcome Manu Togo on. Manu, I'm so glad that you're on the show. Thank you for coming on. Wait a minute. May you okay. Now we got May you on. Thank you for coming on the show today, May. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It it is, and I'm I'm so glad to have you. I mean, this is awesome. I mean, you actually was on naked and afraid. Now how was <laughs> let me ask, how was it? How was the Because I know that you grow that you actually, your lifestyle was, at an early age, was raised as a survivor. Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. I was very fortunate to grow up on a sugarcane farm. So um, as a young child, you pretty much already adapt to the survival instinct and basically using your common sense, being creative, and uh, basically being aware of all your surroundings. Um, of course, you know, we face a lot of uh, dangerous animals. Of course, they are most poisonous, the most in the world are there. And unfortunately, up where I'm from, that's where most of them hang out. So, uh, but, you know, even in all the time that I've lived there and even speaking to my mother just recently, I asked her about the, the poisonous snakes. That's what I asked her to have do we know anyone or do you know anyone that's ever been bit and died from a snake bite? And she said no. And I think that just comes down to the fact that because everyone is so aware, uh, you know, we just uh, know how to avoid it and we know um, we just basically become instinctual about our surroundings. So we've never had those kind of um, incidences. Thank goodness, though. Because they're very, very deadly snakes. You don't have much time once you get bit. Right. And I know, was it, were you scared when you got, when you had to encounter the snake in your sleeping bag? Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, from what I recall, I think I just froze up for the, you know, for most of the, most of the night. And there's not much you can do about it because... You can't exactly slide out of your sleeping bag knowing that there's a snake uh, right in there between your legs. Um, So I just had to wait until the morning. It's first light when everyone, you know, wakes up and and that's when I notified my CO uh, to say I have a snake in my sleeping bag and I handled it pretty well. But, oh, boy, I, I still remember that. I still remember that. My sergeant had a flask of whiskey. I remember taking a swig of that afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
I don't blame you. I I probably would have to take a swig too, just not to even think about it. Cause see, I don't deal. I don't deal with snakes. I will pick up worms, but snakes, no. Probably maybe a garden snake, but when it comes to pythons and on up, no. Now my husband, that's his thing, but he had to get. He ended up getting rid of them before I even met him because he said he used to keep a big old python in his apartment. I was like, wow. And you didn't get any women, did you, at that time? He was like, no. I know you <laughs> No, I have to say that I still have this, um, you know, phobia about snakes. I mean, I, I love them. I admire them. I will handle them. But I still have that that tightness in the chest of, of knowing, you know, that uh, some of them are, are quite deadly. And, um, but the reality is, is, is snakes don't go after you. They only strike whenever they're directly threatened. So a lot of yeah. people, you know, unfortunately, you know, most of these incidences are people uh, not paying attention to where they're stepping or paying attention, you know, of the, of the ground and they just uh, stumble across right on top of a snake. And that's typically how the bite happens. Um, but typically they don't want anything to do with you. They're, they're, they're very docile in, the, in that manner. Now, Mayu, if you do get bit by a snake, what are some of the procedures you should do? Well, the immediate thing is to uh, definitely get yourself immobilized, um, and and of course, if you you know that comes with identifying the snake as well. You 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 have to be able to identify the snake, and if it is a venomous snake, uh, then basically you have to immobilize the limb where you've been bit. That way, you're not increasing the circulation of the bite and uh, typically what you do is you um, cover uh, you can wash away the, the top of it but you cover it and you basically uh, do a um, a bandage type where you start from above the bite and bandage down and uh, basically get help as quickly as possible uh, that's oh. what I have seen play what is procedures are done. Wow. But, you know, I was just thinking a moment ago, talking about the snakes and surviving, your mindset has to be ready for this. You just, it don't look like you could just go in this and say, okay, I'm going to do this, be out here for 21 days. If you're not ready, you're just not going to be ready, no matter what, how you even amp yourself up. Um. Well, I know that uh, preparing for Naked and Afraid, uh, you know, it really does come down to um, being prepared in the mind. And, you know, ultimately that's what it does come down to. But I had done uh, survival before, so I really understood what my body was going to go through and uh, with, with the changes because... It doesn't matter who you are, um, you go out in survival in, you know, in that type of fashion. Body is going to go through immense uh, changes because you're, you're, you're not having the, the water sources, you know, that you would typically have at home. You, you don't have the food that you typically would have at home. And um, you're, basically what happens then is your body goes through a detox within okay. like day three, day four. Actually, this is probably the best thing to describe it as, you know, the whole fad where people drink that uh, lemon water with cayenne pepper. It's like that ultra cleanse. Yes. And, and if anyone's done that ultra cleanse, um, by day three, day four, day five, it's excruciating. And a lot of people go through... Uh, severe hunger after day one, and, and it drives them crazy. It really affects your the way you think, the way you feel, your energy level. But once you get past that 
you know, day four, day five, everything gets eliminated and your body adjusts and it makes it a lot easier to uh, continue on the survival, particularly with the limited food and limited water source that we had. Man, you what kind of food did you have to survive off of or out there in the wilderness? Well, <laughs> out there, there wasn't that much for us. Um, I mean, uh, basically our first week, we pretty much ate palm hearts from the uh, palms that we cut down to build the shelter. So uh, we made sure we utilized that. And we also dug like uh, like little funnels inside the palm once we had dug out the palm heart. And basically right. the palm uh, seeps through uh, drinkable water. It's not very nice tasting, but at least it's a little bit of water for you. And um, you would think that we had an enormous amount of you know, coconuts around, but even uh, Russell and I had a lot of trouble with that because we had wild pigs in our area. And the coconuts that were on the ground and accessible to us were pretty much eaten by the pigs. Um, so we only found like one in eight coconuts that was actually edible for us. Um, it's just very, very difficult. And we were in a swamp area of the jungle. And we had a lot of those little swamp crabs that they're probably half the size of your hand, the palm of your hand, tiny little things. But you can't eat them raw. You actually have to cook them. But we were dealing with a lot of uh, rainfall and storms, so it was very hard for us to get the fire going. But when we did get that fire going, we certainly snuck down on those crabs, and we ate them shell and all. There was just They were too small to do anything with, so we just ate them as a whole. And honestly enough, they actually tasted like crab cakes to us anyway. Oh no, see they would see they would have thrown me back. They would have told me go home because I would have told them, excuse this this is what you want me to eat? I d I don't understand no <laughs> see, I could I I could have made it money. Y'all would have gave up on the first day. Now we need you just go and pack your stuff up and we'll we'll see you later. They would have got rid of me. <laughs> Well, there are, you know, there are still uh, there are still things that I certainly won't eat. I do not ever see myself eating spiders. That is just one thing that I can't do. I can eat worms. I I've, I've sat on ant mounds to eat, you know, just pick away on ants for hours of the day because that was really the only source of protein that I could get. Um, and right. same with worms. Um, and you know I've eaten uh, I've eaten a lot of interesting stuff you could say field mice. <laughs> so, you, you, when you're in a survival situation, um, your, your, your mindset really does change, and so it's just like this is this is what you have to do in order to survive. You can't really picky. That's basically what I had said once before. I said if I was to ever be on on a show like that, or if it was, if you were just somewhere stranded, then you have to think of things in order to survive. I mean, it's, oh, you got to put it all foolishness to the side. Now, while you were on the show, man, you were there ever any like girly girls on there? Because I know you more of the tomboy kind. But that's how my mother grew up. My mother was a, more of a tomboy. She beat up the boys and they run. Yeah, I pretty much grew up like that, too. Uh, it wasn't like I had in the reign of girlfriends. Um, and, you know, and I had older brothers, too. My sister okay. was, uh, she grew up, she was a tomboy, too, but she was way more feminine than I. She was the, the, the cute little pretty one. She was like, my sister is so cute. I love my sister. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> she... Yeah, but we certainly definitely have, um, uh, we're certainly the opposites of each other for certain. I'm way more adventurous and daredevilish. Um, and, you know, growing up with my older brothers, I just followed, I pretty much just followed in their footsteps. So whatever they did, I did. 
Yeah, that's why my, a lot of my friends would tell me who grew up around a lot of guys. They they never, you know, you know how to deal with the guys because that's all you grew up around. And, and most of them, they're into sports. See, I'm the girly girl kind, so they'd be looking at me like, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, but, I mean, there are um, feminine women uh, that have gone on the show and, and do these things. Um, but it, you know, again, it just really comes down to your passion of, of what you're doing and, and of course, um, your thinking. Is it, it really does come down to the mindset of, of what you're very passionate about and uh, how to, you know, tackle this. I think a lot of the girls there, too, they, they also look for those extreme challenges in their life to make them feel alive. At least that is certainly for me. I'm always looking for those challenges, and it makes me feel so alive inside. And um, and it also is a test to, to me as well. So it's like this is going to be a test, and I think that's what Naked and Afraid was so appealing to me because I thought, my goodness, this could be the ultimate test of everything I've known in life, the way I grew up, when I went into the military, and the other things that I've done in my life, it's like, this is it. This is going to be the ultimate test for me. And it was more to prove to myself that I could actually do this. And I did it. Right. But see, you kind of, you like a new form of G.I. Jane. See, you the new, you the super, you the our new superwoman. <laughs> <laughs> you went, yeah, you don't went through it all. See, I, I know I keep saying I don't think I could, but I probably would. If it led down right to it, I would get out there in nature because it would be what it is. You have no choice. You either do this or you you can easily die out there. Now, man, you, I would like to know, what, what's the process that you had to go through to even get on the show Naked and Afraid? Um, well, they do have a uh, rigorous questionnaire, and and the questions that they ask are, are extremely relevant to your, um, you know, like survival situations, your personality, how you would work with someone else, the way you think, the way you see yourself. Um, it, it, it really taps into um, your your it really does tap into your personality as to how you deal with, um, you know, stress and unseen circumstances. Um, so, yeah, it was a very rigorous questionnaire. And then we also had to provide uh, videos, just short videos, uh, to let them know that you do have knowledge of a primitive survival and that that is one thing that is definitely different about this show you you really have to know the primitive survival of um, survival rather than what a lot of survivalists out there and, and those who do do outdoors and camping and and so on you know they have all these extra little tools, you know, the, the neat little knickknacks that they take with them, of course, which makes survival a lot easier. But when you are limited to only one tool, uh, it makes it so much more difficult because then you have to be a, you have to be so creative in the way, you know, like using just the resources that are available to you in right. that area. And and you also must be able to improvise because, you know, we didn't have a pot. So then, you know, I'm just using an example. We didn't have a pot. So in order to catch rain uh, or, or even, you know, get containers of water, well, we used coconut shells that we had broken and used them as, as cups to uh, hold water. But... Um, also with the palm leaves that we cut, they have like a funnel, like a gutter-like look to them. So you use that, you set them up as natural draining. And so we would set it up on rocks, on a lean, 
and the water would then flow into the cup and that's the, the coconut and that's how we improvised. It, it is definitely being creative and being able to improvise in every way of fashion. Right. Now, when you watch the show like Survivor, you've seen people whining, but on here, I really didn't see people whining. Maybe a little crazy, but never whining. It was, like you said, you just have to survive. And, I mean, if you probably ask a lot of same people, they probably wouldn't want to do that, go without the food, the water, shelter, close for 21 days. But but you did get one personal item, didn't you? Uh, yes. I Well, what they do is they ask you to bring uh, four survival items. And it's not like you can bring a hammock or <laughs> things like that. You actually have to think about the four most prioritized survival items and um, more on the primitive side, too. It's, it's not about comfort. This is about being able to take care of yourself while you're, you know, while you're out there in the wild. So you have to be smart about this. And, and typically most people will bring, you know, like a water container for boiling, um, definitely a flint for fire building, uh, a knife, a survival knife. And in my case, I uh, brought a machete because uh, typically in the jungle, you really do need a machete, a, a, a heavy-duty machete to be able to get through that and, and cut through anything. It is basically the ultimate tool. That is the one tool, when particularly going into the jungle, that is the most essential. Ooh, yeah, like the song. What's that? What's the show, Monk? It's the jungle out there. <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. It certainly is. Um, it. I mean, I have done jungle survival before. I and uh you know in in australia um but i will honestly say that that panama jungle was probably the most hostile uh area that i've seen uh however i still believe that the two survivalists that did the uh louisiana swamp uh down there kai and billy uh, i think they probably had the most difficult um, environment to to cope with 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 their twenty one days. I don't Ooh. think I don't think I would have handled that one. <laughs> I would have done it for sure, but it would have been horrible. Because I think on the second season we had there was um, AK and Tyler on there, and they were mentioning about the mosquitoes were just so nasty, and I, and I know you had got a mosquito bite, and that was. Uh, what's it called dango dango fever? If I'm saying it correctly, yeah. <clears throat> no, yes. okay. What exactly is that? Um, it is a uh, tropical and subtropical uh, virus, only known to those regions around the world, and it is a mosquito-borne virus, just like malaria, yellow fever, Ross River, uh, and so on. Um, unfortunately, with the dengue. Um, unlike yellow fever and Ross River and um, uh, malaria, there is no vaccine that you can take to prevent that kind of virus. Um, I mean, there's, there's been studies going on for years. And uh, unfortunately, even to this day, so many lives are lost, in particular for the type of dengue virus that I got. There are four types, and I contracted the hemorrhagic, and mm. that word hemorrhagic pretty much describes exactly what it is. Um, I was dealing with a full-body hemorrhaging, and basically all my cellular walls, even my blood vessels, pretty much collapsed and uh, my entire body was leaking uh, all its fluids and blood inside my body. So the initial um, few days, or actually up to a week, my body had swollen up twice its size. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's a very deadly virus, and there's nothing, nothing that they can do. There is, there is no... 
there's no medical treatment except for, in my case, a lot of plasma, a lot of fluids, and, of course, um, pain management. And uh, that pain that I experienced, when they, when they say uh, they compare that virus or they also identify it as break bone disease, and that's exactly what it feels like. It felt like I was being rolled over by a steamroller. It was horrible. I couldn't, you know, even the the touch of someone holding me, it was oh. it was so painful. Oh man, I can't even imagine what you went through. I'm just glad you made it through it. After you telling me so many people don't even make it with that type of fever, and I mean, no. And you know what gets me? Um, I really commend all the people here because I don't think any money or prizes are really too much involved, but the fact that you're surviving through this and you be so hungry, you don't even have time to really argue with the next person. But a lot of people probably have looked at it as very sexualized, but it wasn't about the sexuality of it all. It wasn't about trying to shame anybody. It was just showing people the reality of things. If you had to be in this situation, what would you actually do? Because this, this, this is the reality of needing these things, that water, that shelter, almost immediately, and it, think, it starts to sink in. And you start focusing. But I, I was wondering, I was really wondering if, like, if when you press that limit, that we might find inner reserves of strength and more fortitude press us to do the right thing. Mm. Well, stresses that you feel out there, um, you know, particularly when you are uh, uh, feeling exhausted, um, hungry, thirsty. I mean, it, it is really a, a very high psychological game out there. And, uh, you know, when when you have all these different aspects, you know, that, that you're dealing with, um, you know, it, it, it can, well, you look at most people, you know, how they handle stress. It, particularly if they're in a vulnerable state, and so when you add, you know, the stresses that and uh, and so on, you only have so much limit limitation on that. And uh, this is again, this is where your mind over body to it. You have to be stronger in your mind than what your body is telling you. And uh, if you don't have the strength, the psychological strength. Um, you're not going to make it. It doesn't matter how strong you are or how healthy you are, but if right. you cannot psychologically handle the situation, you're going to suffer. Yes. You are going to suffer. And that just doesn't go by, you know, survival out in the wilderness. That goes into the survival in our everyday lives. And and this is something that um, I would like to uh, venture into and is uh, providing people the tool um, to be mentally prepared. It's not necessarily being physically prepared or survival or anything like that. It all really comes down to your mental abilities to cope with every situation that you come across. And that is in our homes, out on the roads, or when we go hiking, or anything, because we never know what's going to happen. So you could become mentally prepared for the unexpected. Yes, and that, that, that and you, um, that's for my husband. He's listening in the background. He was agreeing with that too. You have to have that mindset. You do. You can't go out there and say, that's "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm Hercules," and and the stuff hit the fan, and you'd be the first one to say, "Deuces." That's why I, I, I do, man. You, I really do. I commend anyone who joined that show. And, yes, it is thought-provoking, but at the same time, it was inspiration. I think that what made it so watchable because we was looking at people who actually did exactly that, who shared the only available food that you had out there, the only potable water that you could possibly but who knows how long you probably had waited to see that in days. But it wasn't trash TV. I really... I think it was a good show. It teaches you, and I think, well, if they didn't mind children probably watching it, you'll need to see how it is. 
You never know. I mean, because a lot of people, a lot of people probably need to watch that because I, um, all these people who go on hiking too on these trips and don't know what yes. to actually do, you be out there trying to survive. That's that's no joke. You way out there in the desert and you don't have nothing, no signal on phone. You probably got the last little bit of water in your water bottle. So those things really makes you start thinking. Now, well, uh, so now since that you. Since you went through that with the dengue fever and overcoming that, how has life been for you now? Well, I can honestly say that the past seven months uh, has been quite the journey, and um, that dengue virus pretty much uh, disabled me. I couldn't walk. Initially, I lost all my motor skills, um, my ability to stand up, walk, um, and uh, I have been in physical therapy for seven months, and I'm still doing physical therapy. I'm I'm right at the end of it now. Um, but you know, I, I I honestly think that I am so so lucky because one, I survived it, and secondly, uh, and you know, in a lot of cases of people who have gotten this hemorrhagic dengue. They've also lost their lower limbs, too, because of the amount of nerve damage that it causes and muscle atrophy. So I still have my legs. And uh, honestly, right now, I um, can run. I'm, I'm back hiking again. I'm back out in the wilderness again. And I feel so much stronger. I have a few little complications that I'm still dealing with. But the um, the effects of it are getting uh, longer in between the um, the relapses because that's something about the the virus your your body you can you can have this kind of condition of relapses and the effects of it for years you know one year two three years and wow. so uh, I consider myself very lucky that I have come this far. And, you know, the doctors are certainly um, documenting this because I am the first case of dengue here in California. So this is uh, an important important matter for the doctors to learn about uh, with regards to recovery. And, it, of course, it adds to uh, the research and statistics around the world as well. Um, you know, there's places like India and in particular Africa, um, they have the highest rate of death uh, as a result of this uh, dengue. And uh, so the more studies mm-hmm. and, and research that is done, hopefully hopefully in, in the near future, there, there will be some way that we can better treat it or even prevent it. I, I know they're doing uh, big studies in the Philippines with regards to this. That's, it's just about knowledge and, um, and, and knowing what to be prepared for and, and how everyone has a different way that they react to it and how they recover from it. I believe that because I was so healthy and I was, I'm on a strict diet, I, I eat very, very well. And, um, and I think just who I am to... Um, you know, I I think that um, I came through this. Oh, what's the word? It's um. I came through this much stronger than most other people, and again, I think that also comes, you know, with the way you think about things, not being fatalistic and and reminding yourself that I'm going to be good, I'm going to get strong, I'm going to get back, and and. I've been working very hard in the last seven months with my physical therapist to get to where I am today. I'm still not 100%, but I'm very, very close. Right. You're making it step by step, and I'm sure it's not an easy process, but you got to be willing to want to live, and that was your mission. You was willing to live. And also, to me out there in that mindset, you also have to be strong in your faith. But what we're going to do, we're going to end up taking a, a break, and we're going to come back with Manu 
please do call in. I mean, this is this is all reality. This is someone who went through it. And if you're really thinking about doing a show like this, you got to be ready. So I advise you to tune in. Do not touch that dial. We're going to come back with Manu with more questions and everything else. So stay tuned. There's only one station that will keep you happy. Blog Talk Radio. We're taking more of your calls at 347-426-3751. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this commercial break. Take an ordinary putty knife and scrape off the old wax ring. Place the new wax ring over the flange, then line up the bolts with the bowl and gently set in place, making sure a proper seal is created with the flange and drain. Next. Um, Dad? Uh, yes, sweetie. Uh, is that a new plumbing manual? Oh, um, yeah, yeah, honey. We really need to get some new books. Right, um, do, do you want me to stop? Nah, I kind of want to know how it ends. Okay, tighten the <laughs> bolts, line up the flushing valve to the opening in the top of the bowl, and secure the tank with a screwdriver and crescent wrench. <laughs> The smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Call 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. All right, we're back with Manu Togo, who is the star of the Discovery Channel, Naked and Afraid, and she has been through it all. She's here to tell you all about it, and I'm glad that you're staying tuned in with me and chatting with me, but don't be afraid to bring up any questions if you have to. Now, Manu, since you went through the military, do you think that also helped you out as well? Oh, yes, of course, um, because, I mean, I, I, you know, the way I grew up is just the way, who I was and, and my my physique and my uh, strength and everything like that, you know, just growing up on a farm. Um, you know, going into the military was certainly second nature to me. All I really wanted to do was be in the military. So the military certainly does provide you the, the training, not just the physical training, but the mental training as to how to cope. It, it really pushes you to your limits, which is not something that a lot of people um, do these days. They, they don't push themselves to the extreme limit to, to see their coping, like how much that they can cope with. And uh, so the military certainly provides coping mechanisms that are ingrained in you. And so I certainly believe that the military definitely helped me with my coping mechanisms and uh, being able to handle any kind of stress, you know, uh, uh, that comes my way. That even just comes with my daily life. Um, I broke my knees in the military, so that's kind of, that's what ended my career. And for several years, up to a decade after I'd broken my knees, I was going in and out of surgeries and rehab, and and I was. I was lost. I was lost as an individual because um, I felt a sense of abandonment and um, an identity because, you know, I grew up in such an isolated area and I went into the military. So it's a family, it's so family-based. So you have all your peers and, and people you look up to and they they certainly become your family. So when I was discharged, um, then it was like I, I, I lost everything. I, I felt this sense of abandonment and um, and who I was. It was like, who am I? Because the military was everything that I knew. And dealing with the injuries to figure out coping mechanisms um, as to how to handle this. And um, it... it it really prepared me for everything that I do 
today and the things that I have experienced in the past. I was unfortunate when I first came to the U.S. I went to Seattle. I was unfortunate being a circumstance where it involved um, an assault on me and uh, that ended me being homeless for nine months. And I think if it wasn't for the military training and, and that, the, you know, you, them developing the coping mechanism, um, I wouldn't have gotten out of that homelessness. I, I, I really do believe that. So being homeless in Seattle and having those tools from being in the military, that, that, that strength of the mind, and the, I got myself out of that situation. And, and every day in life, I think, I think about that regularly and how everything I do these days, I think about how the military prepared me for everything that I am challenged uh, today. And it takes... I would love, I, I like saying this, and especially for you, you have a lot of perseverance in you, and it, it, it takes a lot of pers- pers- perseverance to actually survive through what you have gone through, and you could just imagine what it was probably like. I can't, I, I can't, oh, if I could actually have been there with you to actually seen it all, that probably would make it even more better for me, but you face all these daunting challenges and and going through this and acquiring the help and supplies in this isolated wilderness that that you were <laughs> yes. in. Now you know where was the where did they actually do the show at? What because I I thought it was like somewhere in Panama, if I'm correct. Uh yeah, it was the northwest region of uh, Panama. Um, there were basically the surrounding areas where very third world uh, villages where there's maybe one payphone. The, the little village that I did come across, this is after we had, you know, been out of the jungle. Um, very small village. It was so unique. And, uh, I mean, you could see the, the poverty of it, but everyone there was at peace. And um, there's there's just something that is incredibly fascinating and beautiful. And you you see the challenges in their lives and kind of inspired me just to, you know, thank my lucky stars that I got out of the jungle before the virus took over my body. Uh, and, And it was very hard to distinguish that I was actually getting sick as a result of that mosquito bite. You know, I just felt fatigued and sore and I was having headaches. I wasn't very hungry. Um, And, uh, and, you know, because, you know, what we just had gone through the 21 days, you're dealing with that on a daily basis. Um, So... So it was it was hard for me to to recognize back then, you know, when I was there at the village that something was really wrong and uh and feeling hypothermic as well. So it wasn't really until I got back to the United States that it was like, Okay, something is terribly wrong because I know my body and I know how quickly I recover from kind of things because I've been doing it you know for a long, long time, uh, I, I was then recognizing, okay, there's something really wrong because I'm not recovering. In fact, I was getting worse. And that's when the uh, nosebleeds were happening and then uh, brushing my teeth, my gums were bleeding and other areas were, were bleeding. And um, it was, well, yeah, it's, it's a wake-up call, not only for myself, but I think this is also something that other people who are interested in doing the show, um, these, there's going to be a risk involved. And a lot of people believe, they, they have this perception 
that there's a big crew there and, and, and you know, you, you've got a whole bunch of people around, you know, close by. But on this show, this is, this is a very serious uh, show, survival show. A very small group of people, they come in during the day for only a few hours, you know, up to eight hours maybe, and then they just disappear. And they do have medics that are close by, but we never really know who they are. And also, if you have a headache or a cut or an injury or something like that, you can't just call a medic. They actually do expect you to be able to, um, you know, take care of yourself. Like, I even cut a thorn out of my own foot to get it out. Later on, it did get infected, uh, and that was the... You know, it's when those kind of things is the only time a medic will come in and check it out. Otherwise, we are completely left on our own. There is no help. No one is giving you water. No one is giving you food. We don't even see the the, uh, film crew eat or drink any water. And they're just being... um, well, they're just being gracious in that fact because it's already hard on us as it is being limited with food and water, let alone watching someone eat a snack bar or a sandwich or drink from a water bottle. Um, so, you know, this is this is not Survivor. You know, right. Survivor is a whole different thing because you have a large group of people who are helping each other out but there you know that show is is competing for big money at the end and so um they can't put you in a real primitive survival situation and uh because you are not going to have the physical and mental strength to be able to do all these these competing little events that they have on Survivor. And that's what makes Naked and Afraid so much different. I mean, it is the Everest of survival shows. And what makes it even more um, extreme is the fact they are naked. Most survivalists and other survival shows, you go in clothed and prepared for the environment, to protect yourself from the environment. But with our show, The Naked and Afraid, you take away the clothing, it is your first line of defense to protect you from the environment. And when you take that away, um, it just makes it so much to deal with. Right. Now, we have a we have a caller mm-hmm. on from area code 757. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. How y'all doing today? Wonderful. All right, what's the, what's the uh, show about today? Well, now we're talking to um, we're talking to Manu Togo, who is a survivor of Naked and Afraid, and she's talking about the survivor tips out there in the wilderness. How you have to have your mindset. So, do we have any questions? Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I have my mindset. You know. I try to talk to people in the community each and every day. They be they be saying different kind of stuff, but I I try to be there and talk talk to them in a positive way and keep their mouth going in the wind. Some say they they want to go drink and do drugs, this and that. I say you ain't got to do all that. You ain't got to do all that. Just keep your heads head up and just pray pray to God that that He can be delivered from that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Right, I do understand it. Okay. Um, I was getting some feedback, unfortunately. Say Hello? Caller, a lot of interference in the background. Yeah, there was a lot of back in the ground, in the background. I'm sorry. Oh, well, yeah, I'm sorry, because we had a major flood around here this morning, so it, everything is messed up right now, but 
But I was saying, oh. I was trying to see people to, uh, in the community, you know, they talking about doing alcohol and drugs and other stuff. I tell them to keep their head up, you know, stay focused, pray to God that they can be, be delivered from that stuff, you know? Okay. Do we, do we have any questions directed to Matthew about her being on the show um, in regards? Yeah, I enjoy our conversation today. I would have called in earlier, but the power stuff been out around here today due to flooding and other stuff going on up here this this morning. Oh, well, okay. So he he mentioned his power is out. Is that correct? Right. Yes, ma'am. He was. He's back on now. Yeah. Well, see, this is this is something that I believe that people. You know, when we talk about being prepared for the unexpected, you you look at today's society and we really have become too soft and because we have become too comfortable with our modern day, you know, access, access to gas, access to water, access to electricity. I mean, we have just built around us a, a a caution of protection. And so when we do come across the unexpected, you know, you look at, uh, you know, uh, Katrina, that aspect, the cyclone on, on the East Coast. Um, yeah. You, you look at the droughts and things like that, power outages. Are we completely prepared for... Not... We... Prepared. We are not mentally prepared, no, and we it's are not, not necessarily physically prepared. It's, it's how we cope with the situation. And a lot of people, when we do come across power outages, no water. I mean, like, uh, if for instance, is when we get a notice that where our water is going to be turned off for the day. Believe me, people are, are going to be making a phone call like. I can't believe the water's going to be turned off. What are we supposed to do? You, you know, yep. uh, safe the electricity. Yes, because I've been through that. You, I've been through that situation where my water was cut off, not because I didn't pay the bill, but they was working on my house. So I didn't really panic. I just called somebody yeah. and asked them to pay me like jugs of water over that I can boil and take a wash up or something like that. And then also, you know. If you go to the store too, they have, they actually have wipes that you can actually put in the microwave and heat them up, and you can cleanse yourself that way. But it does make you wonder. I have even asked that question to people. Do they think they can go out their cell phone for a day? Just for a day. I think I can go a day without my phone. I, I really don't do a whole lot of talking on my phone. Because I always stay busy, so I think I could survive without it. But it does make you think about things like this. Technology has invaded our life so much that we cannot live without it. Even some of the baby boomers, they're dependent on it as much. And you know they didn't grow up on it. They had black and white TVs in their time. But now people trip me out because I work in a restaurant, and they trip me out if they don't have HD. Oh, my God, you don't have HD? Like, seriously? Dude, what were you watching before we even had HD? You were watching black and white. <laughs> Come on now. Don't say you brand new. I mean, people really kill me with that, man. You like, you survived. You didn't even have, we didn't even have no HD. What were you watching before it came out? You were watching regular old TV. I could see just fine. I don't need, I don't need 68-inch TV up in my face. Like, it's ridiculous. Right, right. <laughs> I remember the beepers they had. I remember going to the phone booth back about 25 years ago. And you don't even see those anymore. You don't see a phone booth no more. And that's, that really no. freaks me out. What if my phone really dies? Like, how can I really reach out to somebody? I think, I think those need to be brought back, especially on college campuses. If I'm in danger and my phone cannot pull out a signal, I need to be able to, get, to reach somebody. But those are oh, I, I completely agree because I've actually thought exactly about that already. And um, 
And the other thing that technology has created in our world, yes, we get we gain a lot of information from all around the world, but it's not it's not uh, studying anymore. Remember when we used to be able to remember phone numbers so that, that yeah. we could actually make that phone call to whoever we needed to talk to because we memorized yeah. phone numbers. Yes, we did. memorized information. Yeah. Now, yeah. now what's happened? Right, because of technology yeah. and the, these Google searches and so on, we have we're, become lazy. We've, we've become lazy. Because we're not memorized. Oh, I don't know that answer. Let's do a Google search, and we and we find that answer. It's like, oh, well, it says here, blah 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 blah, and then it kind of gets wow. forgotten. So we, we've lost sensible development. Right, and I catch myself doing it once in a while, but if I can, I like to take my daughters to the library and let them see because this is the real research. Because even when you're up in right. college, <laughs> even when you're in college, professors will tell you up front. Do not use the Internet for just your research sources. You actually have to go to the library, and that's what I had to do. I had to get plenty of books for my research paper. You're not going to sit there and just look on the Internet as, as your dependency. No, it's not going to work like And I try to get my – well, my daughters, I guess they will be in stone age because I don't even have them with that iPad. No. What do you need an iPad for? And I actually make them use the actual dictionary, the hardback for the word. Look okay, for it. Okay. Yeah, because our generation is getting lazy, and it's going to become even lazier because technology is advancing so much. Who knows what it's going to be like in 10 or 15 years later on? I mean, they're already, yeah. trying, to, they're already trying to get Androids to deliver your packages to uh, FedEx and UPS. They're already working on that. So, I mean, mm. it's, it's getting lazy. It really is. Technology is stupid now. If you ask me, if you ask me, I think... All of us need a taste of naked and afraid. Or that's what I want to know, man. You are they are they coming out with another episode of this? Um, I believe they are definitely going oh, into season three, and I believe that is going to start airing in June. Um, oh right, I didn't watch it. But I, I think it's also going to be just another maybe six episodes because, as you can imagine. You know, when you're dealing with a survival show like this, you really, um, you don't have 40 men and 40 women <laughs> to be able to do a multitude of episodes. And and I, you know, they did come across that when they were trying to film for season two. They were expecting to have a lot more episodes that actually aired and the reason why they didn't have all those episodes was because um, they lost a lot of survivalists even before they could actually start filming them. They lost right. uh, survivalists in the first two, you know, between the first to the third day um, because it's the realizations like, oh, gosh, here I, I can't do this. And that is where the mental aspect comes into it. Um, here's the, uh, you know, a lot of people allow their fear to overcome their ability to overcome an obstacle or, or, or face, you know, or face an extreme situation. The fear overpowers them and then they give up. Right. Yeah, you do. You, you got to have a strong mind. And no time to be like you looking like Rocky or Don Terminator. You, your mind got strong up here too. But I know we're getting short on our time. Man, you can you give us a contact with you or find out more information? Uh, yes, I, I do have a website up that I'm just in uh, the starting of developing. And, of course, it's manutoigo.com. Um, but uh, my favorite social media that I like to interact with is my Twitter account, and that is um, Survive Manu. Well, Manu, I really appreciate you for being on the show, sharing your inspiration with so many of us. I mean, 
I, I'm not going to lie. I think it's awesome, man. I, I, I'm so happy that I was able to get in contact with somebody who actually went through the process. I, it, I find it so cool. Yeah, I, I don't get starstruck, but it's, it's just awesome because you went through it. But thank you so much for taking out time to do this for me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, and if anyone has any questions, um, you know, please, uh, you know, follow me on Twitter and uh, I'm always there to answer any questions, and I like to share good, invaluable information, not only about uh, wilderness survival, but our daily survival. It really is all about the mind and remaining positive and strong. Right. Well, people, I hope you do hit her up on Twitter. This is an amazing woman. I'm here to tell you that. Um, I don't think a lot of us women will actually have gone through that without worrying about concern about our nails. So, um, <laughs> man, you want to say thank you, and you have a blessed one. Yeah, have a good John, weekend. Thank you. you too, thank Carla. You. Thank you. All right. Well, everyone, I hope that you enjoyed the show today, and I will see you tomorrow at noon. You have a blessed one, and you stay safe. Thank you for tuning in to The Bright Side with Tanisha. Come back daily from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. God bless.